Father, this morning, we just come before your presence just to declare, God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. God, we thank you that we serve a faithful God that hears us in our time of need. God, you hear us when we call out to you. And I pray, God, this morning, God, that as your people come, as we just stand before your throne this morning, God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that has a need, God, that they would fulfill the urge just to be able to call out to you. Faithful God. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that we have the opportunity just to stand before you. God, we love you. We pray that you'd speak to us through your word this morning. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Philip. Thank you for those involved in our worship team. Thank you for leading us this morning. What an encouraging time of worship it is, and I pray that Jesus was glorified. Uh, he is a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, and there's so much more that we can say about Jesus. So thank you so much for leading us in that this morning. I want to say a special thanks to Pastor Lee for allowing me to be up here to preach this morning. Uh, I'm very grateful. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm very grateful uh, for an opportunity to share God's Word. I I'll be honest with you. I take 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 very seriously when it says, preach the Word in season and out of season. We are to be proclaimers of the truth of God's word, and we are to take that very serious. But I am very grateful for an opportunity. And be uh, continuing to pray, pray for Pastor Lee and Susan as they get to be with their family in, in, in Hawaii. They are suffering for the Lord in Hawaii, so uh, we want to be praying for them. But no, what, a, what an awesome thing. Uh, but I'm very grateful to be up here. I heard about two men in church that uh, they had met for the very first time. And when they met, I mean, it was just an instant connection. I mean, they got along. They became best buds. They went fishing together. They went to play disc golf together. They would go bowling together, go out to eat together. And they just, I mean, they really hit it off. And they became, uh, uh, I mean, really good buddies. And their, their relationship developed to a kind of a one-on-one -on -one discipleship uh, relationship. And after a while, they started kind of getting on each other's nose, nerves because they were very intellectual. Uh, one tried to outwit the other. And every time they would meet, it was just seeing who can one up each other that they knew more about the Bible than the other guy and they would start fighting and the conversations got more and more heated and they would start discussing things like creation is it an old earth is it a new earth they started discussing things like Calvinism versus Arminianism predestination versus free will they started talking about eschatology what's going to happen to mankind what's going to happen to the church in the end times and they would debate these things and they would just go back and forth at each other and they would just get very heated and one day it just got really bad and the first guy said to the second guy goes you know what you're an idiot. You really don't know anything about the Bible. Second guy's like, I don't think so. I know way more than you. First guy said, you're so dumb. I bet you can't even recite the Lord's Prayer. Second guy goes, I sure can. The first guy goes, I got 10 bucks right here. Says, you can't even recite the Lord's Prayer. Second guy goes, oh yeah? Watch this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And the first guy goes, ha, here's the 10 bucks. I didn't think you knew it. So as I tell you this joke, I will say that sadly, I have noticed over the past several years, and as I've gotten a little bit older, and I know that I'm not that old, but as I've gotten a little bit older, I have kind of noticed that prayer has somewhat lost its importance in the American church. 
whether it be personal, whether it be congregational, it has become more of a tradition than really just a part of our worship to God. And now this may not be the case for every church, may not be the case for every person, but I think we really ought to take a look at ourselves. And I want you to think about this. Before every sporting event, uh, we will often play the national anthem. Now, let's be honest, the national anthem has nothing to do with what's going on in the game. It doesn't control the outcome. It doesn't control the the score. It does not control the performance of the team or the individual players. But the national anthem is put there in a place of national honor, but totally unrelated to what's going on on the field, what's going on on the court, Uh, totally unrelated what we came there for. And today the national anthem is really considered just an add-on to the sport, to the game. And for many Christians, this is the same attitude that we see that is expressed towards prayer. A few years ago, or excuse me, a few months ago, uh, Andy Bob and I went to a, uh, he's our other youth pastor, we went to a youth minister's conference over in the Plano area. We went to this particular session, and it turns out that Andy Bob and I were in the same room, but we didn't know we were in the same room at the time. I had just come from one session, he had came from another, and we went to this one session. And the guy that was the speaker there that day, he brought up a really good point, something to really challenge us. And he asked, he said, if I was to visit your youth ministry, or if an outsider came to visit your youth ministry, what would they say you value the most? And he started giving examples, and he said, that most groups that he's been to seem to value games, seem to value announcements more than they value the time of prayer. And immediately I I was really convicted. I know Andy Bob and I talked about it afterwards. We were both very convicted by this. And we started thinking, do we as a youth ministry really value prayer? Do we as a church staff really value prayer? Do we as a church really value prayer? Do we as individuals, as Christians, do we really value prayer? Matthew 21, when Jesus cleared the temple, he said to the people, he says, my house will be a house of prayer. And he's quoting from Isaiah 56, but think about that. My house, my people, my children are to be people of prayer. This morning, I want to turn your attention to the book of James, James chapter 5, and I encourage you to go to James 5, and we're going to start in verse 13, going to go to verse 16. And as you find that, if you would please stand with us this morning as we read God's word, and we want to be reverent towards him this morning. So as we read God's word together this morning, let's, let's stand together. And it says this, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful, he should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick, he should call for the elders of the church. They are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Because the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful and effective. As we just read God's word this morning, as we just heard about prayer, let's take this opportunity to seek him. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now, and I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for an opportunity to be with our church family. 
God, this morning as even in our small groups and our Sunday school classes, I just pray, Lord, that you have been glorified, that we have grown in you. We thank you for the time of worship that we had this morning, God, that yes, we get to rejoice. We get to give thanks to you. And I pray that you were pleased by that. I thank you for the key family, for a, for a husband and a wife, for a, for a father and a mother who want to bring their children up in a godly home. And I pray, Lord, as a church, we would surround them, that we would pray for them. We would comfort them and just, and just, um, be helpful to them. So Jesus, I also pray right now for your word, God, as we have just read your word, as we have spoken your word, I pray, God, that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be open, God, that you would move in a mighty way this morning, that we know without a doubt that we have met with Almighty God. Jesus, thank you so much for dying for us. Thank you so much for rising from the grave. You are an amazing God, and we praise you, we worship you, and I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Was we look at the Bible as a whole, prayer is one of, if not the most dominant themes in all of Scripture. And according to the Bible, prayer is a big deal. It's a big deal. Prayer, listen, it is not an event. It's, it's the way we are to live our lives, our spiritual breathing, if you must. Listen, in Scripture, we see several different types of prayers. We see prayers of praise and adoration and admiration towards God. We see prayers of confession of sin. We see prayers of confession that we need God. We see prayers of thanksgiving, thanking God for what he has done, for who he is. We see prayers with requests, praying for those who are sick, praying for those in need, praying for God to move in just an amazing way. We see all these different types of prayers. But when I look at the Bible and I read it and study it, I really believe that the overall goal of prayer is this, that it is a relational communication with the supernatural God, wanting him to have an impact on our lives and our situation, to have the kingdom of heaven to come and invade the kingdom of earth. And I really believe that's what it is. And you see that prayer is not making God do what you want him to do, nor is it to try to get him to do something that he doesn't want to do. Because we can't tell God what to do. But what prayer does is literally accesses what he has already wanted to do. What he wants to do. That's what prayer does. It is an access to what he already wants to do. Which is conditioned upon our participation. Know that. It is conditioned upon our participation. Now, but hold on a second, okay? I know some people might be thinking, well, what about Moses? Didn't, didn't he change God's mind? Didn't he, didn't he kind of tell God what to do? Well, one thing that I always tell our students that our youth ministry, we tell these students. The best way to interpret Scripture is with what, students? With other Scripture. The best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. I want you to hear this verse. Isaiah 65, 24. Before you even call, I have already answered. Before you even speak, I have already heard. So we see here that God already has the answer, but it is conditioned upon our participation. Prayer is a big deal. It is to be taken serious. Look in John chapter 6. When Jesus fed the 5,000, you see he had five loaves, he had two fish. What does it say that Jesus began to do? He began to pray. And he began to thank God. And what he was doing, he was asking God to do something up there 
that can only be done up there and to bring it down here. Now, Jesus, who is the son of the most high living God, if he needed to do that, don't you think we need to do that? Don't you think we need to do that? Why are we missing out on opportunities to pray? We need to seek God. We need his guidance. We need him in our life. Let's go back to the scripture here. In verse 13, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. The word suffering here is meaning going through a hard time that you're hurting your physical. Maybe it's an emotional uh, hurt. Maybe it's a financial hurt. Maybe it's a spiritual hurt. This world is filled with pain. It is filled with hurt. So just so I can be relevant this morning, by a show of hands, I'm going to ask what James asked his audience. How many of you in here are suffering? Now, for those of you who've raised your hands, and for those of you that are lying and didn't raise your hands, maybe you'll raise your hand tomorrow on Monday, but not in Sunday church. But for those of us who raised our hands, are you suffering? He says, you need to pray. Some translation says he must pray. We should pray, not you should consider it, not it would be nice. No, you better pray. Listen, I want you to understand this, that pain, your pain, your suffering is always an invitation to pray. Everything you go through in life, your pain, your suffering, hard times, that is an invitation to seek out the Most High God. And some might say, well, I'm in pain all the time. Well, you should be praying all the time. And I firmly believe that one of the reasons God allows our pain to linger is so that way he could hear from us more. He allows that to happen. Now, I want you to think about the people in James here. Here's Christians that have been persecuted and they have scattered. They have gone all over the place. And James is writing this letter to these Christians. They have been persecuted. They're suffering some are hurting, and it even says that some are cheerful here. But for us today, my goodness, the weight of life just literally beats down upon us. So therefore, we need to go to God. And look what he says here at the end of verse 13. Is anyone cheerful? He must sing praises. He should sing praises. So either you're hurt or either you're cheerful. So in other words, you're either praying or you're either praising. So what does this mean? God wants to hear from you at all times. God wants an ongoing connection with you, with me, either if we're hurting or if we're not. We're either in prayer or we're praising him. Now look at verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, the word for sick that James uses here in the Greek is koros menos, meaning to be weary. Think about that word weary. There's so much that is built into that word. Listen, it, this could be, yes, a physical sickness. This could also mean a physical pain. This could also mean something emotional, something spiritual. We are weary people. And what James is saying here is this. If you feel like you have been struck down and you feel like you have no words to say, you've been beat down, you've been broke down, and maybe you feel like you just, you have to throw in the towel and you can't go on any longer. 
He's saying this is when the people of God need to start praying. This is when the people of God are supposed to intercede on your behalf. You see, verse 13 says, pray for yourself. But this verse right here, verse 14 says, this is when the church gets involved. I want to encourage this this morning. Let's stop saying to people, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for you. And then we don't do it. I want to encourage you with something. And this is something that I have really tried to condition myself on. I don't, I'm not saying that I'm 100% all the time on this. But when people start to say something about pray for me, I will try my best to literally just stop everything I'm doing and start praying right there. Even if people have made fun of me before, uh, that has happened. But I encourage you to do that. Don't miss out on an opportunity to pray. Several years ago, and I have this friend named Eric Abbott, and he lives in Vernon, Texas. My wife Ashley and I lived in Vernon for about six years. And this young man named Eric Abbott, at this time I didn't know him, but he was working at the United Supermarket there in Vernon. He was a, he was a bagger, and, and he would bag your groceries, and that's one of those places where they bag your groceries, and they take it out to the car for you and put it in your car. Well, that, I never met this young man. And that evening, I was getting groceries, walking out to the car, and, and you know, it, it's kind of awkward. You kind of feel like you're obligated to make some small talk. And so I just asked the young man, I said, how are you doing today? And he's like, well, I'm struggling. I said, I'm, I'm just getting by as best as I can. I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, my mom died last week. I said, man, I'm sorry. And he's like, yeah. He said, this is my first day back at work since my mom died. And I'm just I'm struggling. I just, I'm, I'm trying to carry on. And I said, well, listen, I said, I wish I could offer you, you know, some things physically to help you. But I said, I just don't know what to do there. So may I pray for you? And he said, okay, sure. He's kind of taken back. And so I prayed with him. And I prayed, God, would you comfort him? God, would you give him peace? God, would you help his family, comfort his family, and just help them to know that you love them? And so after I got done praying for him, I, I told him who I was, what I did. And I told him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's all that conversation was. And he said, thank you. And he went back to work and I went on my way. Well, two weeks later in church, I'm standing up on stage. I had no clue that he was there that Sunday. I see him walk down the aisle during the time of invitation. He gives his life to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen every single time. But people, please understand this. We cannot miss out on an opportunity to pray. Because just as we sang... Even when we don't see it, he is still working. Even when we don't feel it, he is still working. I'm so grateful for an opportunity to seek out God and ask for him to move. And then in verse 16, excuse me, says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful and effective. A righteous person. This is not a perfect person. Please understand that. A righteous person is someone who is trying their best to live for God. Someone who has been saved and they're trying their best to live for Jesus. It says that their prayer is powerful and effective. And the word that James uses here is, is hedos. And that word right there means to energize. You see, that powerful and effective prayer has the ability to energize the situation, to energize a person. Not because of who we are, but because of the work of Calvary that Jesus did that is now inside of us, that is now in our lives. 
And this, this kind of prayer, okay, this is not one of those blessing prayers or let's say grace type of prayers. I'm pretty sure when we're praying those, our brains probably aren't even working. We've recited them so much. We've said them so much. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. The hands have prepared it. Please bless the nurse from our bodies. Amen. Bam. Nailed it. <laughs> that is not an energized prayer. Let's be honest. That is a hurry up because I'm hungry, the food's getting cold type of prayer. Our prayers are to be God-centered. Our prayers are to be gospel-centered. Our prayers are to be based upon the word of God and the prayer of a righteous man because of what Jesus has done in our lives are powerful and effective. And here in just a moment, we're going to see a few testimonies about how prayer and God's word help people during hard times. So how do we approach God in prayer? Well, I'm going to draw your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And it says this, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will in Jesus Christ for you. And otherwise, in other words, we rejoice because we know who God is. We know he's our savior. We know that he is our Lord. We know that he is our solid rock. We know this is where we find forgiveness of sins. Therefore, we rejoice knowing who he is. We pray going to him because we can trust him. And then he gives us the answer no matter the outcome, no matter our circumstance, we are to give thanks because that is his will for us in Christ Jesus to have a heart of gratitude. Verse 16 says this, rejoice always. Check out this video. We had kind of come to a point in our family where we had raised our, you know, our kids were not little anymore. Things were going well. And um, we had just kind of made some plans of our own and God very quickly put a stop to that. My name is Natalie Gass, and um, I have been a Christian since I was a very young child. I grew up in a Christian home. We moved to Fort Worth when I was in the fourth grade, and my dad went to seminary. Um, so I grew up with very um, strong Christian parents. Uh, my faith and my relationship with Jesus was always something that my parents really were important to my parents. Um, they really encouraged us to memorize scripture, um, we were in church every time the church was open. Um, it was just something that was a very big part of our family. Justin and I have four daughters. Madeline is 16, Emma and Lizzie are 11, and Audrey Jo is 6. And we have been going to the crossing um, for about around 11 years. When I found out I was pregnant with Audrey, I was not happy at all. I was devastated. I remember the day very vividly that I found out I was pregnant with her. And when I found out I was pregnant with her, I laid in the floor of my closet for probably four hours and cried. There wasn't a day that went by in the first several months that I was pregnant that I didn't ask God to take her from me. That's ugly, but that's the truth. I questioned if God knew what was best for me. I questioned if he had a plan for me. Um, I questioned his, I, I questioned everything that I felt like I had known to be true about him. It was not a very pretty time in my life, but that's 
the reality of where my heart was when I found out I was pregnant with her. I know God knew what was coming up for my family. In the next several months, um, one of our other daughters would go through a pretty significant health scare. My grandmother became very, very, very ill. I was very close with her. She was a very big influence in my faith and um, just in who I was. Um, and she became very ill, and I knew that she probably would not make it. Um, and I remember sitting in the hospital when Emma was sick, um, in the floor of the hospital, screaming, <laughs> God, if you hear me, if you are who you say you are, if you hear me, please, I need you to fix this. I need you, I need you to hear me. My grandmother, a few months later, passed away. Um, my parents, who were very, like I said earlier, very, very strong Christian influences on me and people who I looked up to, um, for pe being people of faith, came out that their marriage was not what it was, what I had thought it was, what everybody had thought it was. Um, and they divorced um, very unexpectedly. My sister became involved in a homosexual relationship, which was totally mind-blowing. So I have this baby that I don't want. My grandmother dies. I have a daughter who's sick. My parents are getting divorced. My sister's in a homosexual relationship. And I am freaking out about everything. It became very clear to me when Audrey was born why God gave her to us. And the longer um, that he worked on my heart as my pregnancy went on, um, and I really began to just dig into what he was trying to teach me. Justin always says to me, Natalie, what is God trying to teach you through this? Um, and as I really dug into that, I realized why God gave her to me at this time, because he knew that I needed, he knew that I needed some joy. He knew that I needed a, a, a reminder of that. I almost feel like he protected my heart a little bit in the fact that he gave me something that would bring me earthly joy. Um, and as a reminder of his, of joy in him, the very minute that I saw her face, that's exactly what it brought me. That's exactly what it reminded me of and what um, I feel like God taught me through that time. I questioned him immensely and I'm very thankful that he gave her to me. When I look at my life at that time, um, I, I'll be honest, I did very little rejoicing. Um, and I think that God's showing me yet again in the midst of my <laughs> questioning that he is the provider of joy and that I am called to rejoice in all things, um, good, bad. I think there's a peace in that. And it has given me the ability down the road to not freak out because I've, I've seen him be faithful and I know that even in the trials, he's there and he knows and he does hear me. <laughs> he does hear me. I think another thing that where God showed himself hugely faithful was my parents who, like I said, um, were divorced, um, have since been remarried. Um, and my sister who spent several years in a homosexual relationship is now not, um, living that lifestyle anymore. God is faithful and he healed both of those things and redeemed both of those things. For the Christian, we are to rejoice always. Rejoice always, why? Because 
I am a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Rejoice, why? Because I have been given eternal life, John 10.28. Rejoice, why? Because I am no longer condemned in my sin, Romans 8.1. Rejoice always, why? Because I'm no longer a slave to my sin, but a child of God, Romans 8.15. Rejoice, why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in me, Ephesians 3.16. Rejoice always, why? Because the King is upon his throne, Psalm 2, 1 and 2. Rejoice always, why? Because nothing can separate me from his love, Romans 8.39. Rejoice, why? Because he will never leave me nor forsake me, Hebrews 13.5. Philippians 4.4 tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We can rejoice in the Lord because he is the king. And when things don't make sense, he is still sovereign. He is still in control. And that's how we approach him because he is God. Therefore, we start to pray to him. We lift up our praises and our prayers to him. Verse 17 tells us to pray constantly. Watch this video. I couldn't be the spiritual leader of our household, uh, you know, when, when we first got married. I'm Alan Bukadim. Uh, this is my wife, Megan Bukadim. And we've been members here since uh, 2006. I grew up in a family of six, one of four kids. We attended First Baptist Church in Breckenridge, Texas. You know, we did the normal things, read the Bible at night, uh, just prayed together. It was very important to me, not just in my life when I was single, but thinking about my, who I was going to marry later on, that was always just a given that I was going to marry a man who grew up in church, Southern Baptist, the same, same as me. I think I got about the furthest I could get from that. Um, losing my sister when I was younger made me realize just how important faith is because when I lost my sister, you know, we knew where she went. We, we know she's in heaven and so I just, I can't imagine not having had that when I was younger. Um, going through something that difficult actually, um, help, I mean, it grounded me and it helped me with going through this with Alan and with his family, you know, the differences in religion. So um, I grew up uh, over in Dallas, had uh, got one brother, older brother, uh, my dad is Muslim, my mom is Jewish, which um, you know, is a pretty unique combination. So I grew up being taught to uh, believe in, in God, God of Abraham, and that there really were kind of three religions that all kind of rolled up to the same place. So I grew up believing in God, I'm certainly not as a Christian, um, and that's probably one of the things for me that was... Uh, that I kind of knew was missing. Uh, my mom was raised in a Jewish family, and you know, the few times I've been to a synagogue, it's been a, a wedding or, or something like that. But um, so never really practiced any religion. Probably clearly knew for a while uh, that there was something missing, and didn't really, but didn't really understand what it was. We got married. Right about a year after we, uh, after we first started uh, dating, and we talked about faith before we got married, 
Megan made it clear to me that her faith was important to her and you know, she's talked about being grounded in her faith and I knew that and I I don't think I really understood what it meant. <clears throat> I had been around, I obviously had Christian friends growing up. I had been to church a few times. Looking back now, I think there were specific people and things that God put in my life or did in my life uh, preparing me way before. But Megan made it clear that faith was important to her and, and, and how we were going to raise our kids. Um, and so as we were dating and starting to talk about getting married and starting to talk about what our lives might be like together, for me it was, uh, sure, we can raise the kids in church. I mean, there's good people and they learn good stuff and that's fine. And, um, and that's kind of how I saw that. Then we moved here and started attending here. We met Lee and got to know Lee and obviously met some of the families that today are, st or are still some, or now some of our very, very closest friends. If there was something that prevented me, it was having been raised in a family where that was not Christian and that was specifically not Christian. I think I had a notion that if I believed, then somehow I was um, damning my family in some way. At, at the beginning of our marriage, he would go to church with me every now and then, but if he didn't want to go with me, I would get kind of mad, and we'd fought about it sometimes, and um, I would... I don't know why. I just I wasn't handling handling it the right way. For Christmas, his dad got him this book about being Muslim, and it made me furious because I thought he's not Muslim. You're trying to make him Muslim. And when I heard those words, when I heard myself say those words, I thought, you know, you're trying to do the same thing to him. You're trying to make him Christian. You can't force him to be that. He has to come to that decision on his own. So I changed in how I was dealing with him. If he didn't want to go to church with me, then I just started praying for his heart to change. My sister and brother-in-law lived out here and attended this church. And when we would come out here, we would go to church with them sometimes. So Alan got to know some of the people in this church and they started praying for him. Um, years before we moved out here, they they were praying for Alan and praying for praying for his whole family too, but just praying for him to make a decision to come to know Jesus. Just there was a lot of prayer. My parents were praying for him. Um, just people in my hometown were praying for him. I know Bruce Pinkard led the Sunday school class that my sister and brother-in-law were in, and, and he was praying for them, praying for him. It's changed everything for us. Uh, how we live, how we make decisions, why we make decisions. Um, it absolutely has changed how we're raising our kids. The grounding in faith has to come from your family and, in, and from your house and in your house. And it's got to be woven in the fabric of your, uh, of your home. And we never would have had that. My, our kids never would have had that. And I'm thankful, uh, eternally thankful, for all the people around me um, that have prayed for me, that did pray for me uh, for years, 
and the faithfulness that that shows. I'm thankful for that and can stand as a testament to what prayer means and, and what prayer can do. There's no other explanation except that people have been praying for you and prayers being answered. It's uh, it's it's moving and it's it's a reminder that He is with you and you do need to have that communication with Him and He is going to answer when you ask Him something. Just knowing that other people are are grieving with you and, and praying for you, um, it, it means a lot. And and the people praying for Alan, I mean, it made our family whole, and and it it made him the spiritual leader of our family, and and that was my big prayer. That was that's been answered, and it's it was amazing. Verse seventeen tells us to pray constantly. And as we see the importance here, even in just this video, the importance of prayer and the importance of God's people coming together in prayer. But for the Christian, we are to continue to pray without ceasing. We'll pray constantly. Why? Because he is our heavenly father, Galatians 4, 6. We are to pray constantly. Why? Because God invites me to pray, Colossians 4, 2. We are to pray constantly. Why? Because God provides his help, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We are to pray constantly. Why? Because he is where we find our strength, Psalm 46, 1. We are to pray constantly. Why? Because that's where we find forgiveness of sin, 1 John 1, 9. Because where do I go? Because I have have no one else to turn to and who do I lean on because there's no foundation stable and who do I talk to because there is no one else to listen so I go to the rock I know he is able I go to the rock because I go to the rock of my salvation I go to that stone that the builders rejected and I run to that mountain and that same mountain stands by me because earth all around is sinking sand so on Christ the solid rock we will stand because when I need a shelter and when I need my friend I go to the rock because what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer and oh what peace we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer People of God, I encourage you, don't miss out on an opportunity to pray. And when we do pray, sometimes, all the times, we do get answers. Maybe even sometimes it's the answer that we don't want. Verse 18 tells us we are to still give thanks in all circumstances because this is his will for us in Christ Jesus. We are to give thanks. It seems harsh. seems hard sometimes. But God is still in control. Give thanks in all things. Please watch this video. I cannot describe what you feel like. The helplessness of uh, not being able to save somebody. My name is Cliff Chapman. And my name is Carol Chapman. We came here... Um, Oh, over a year ago, we decided this is where we wanted to be, so we're very thankful to be here. My whole life before I got saved was one of extreme violence. I mean, I was one angry, mean little punk. Vietnam War is going on, so I enlisted in the Marine Corps. Made it through, of course, made PFC out of boot camp and honored and all that stuff, and then I said, okay, 
what's the best unit you got in the Marine Corps? And they go, well, they're all good, but one of the most dangerous stuff is a reconnaissance Marine. I'm like, well, well you go behind the lines and you do all this. And I say, yeah, that's what I was not raised in a Christian home. I had a grandma that prayed for me every day for 29 years. Uh, my mom and dad, they loved us and meant the best, but they didn't know. After Vietnam and stuff, I tried to put a lot of things in that vacuum that is created for God, and it didn't work. There came a time that I lost everything, and I went by myself into a chapel where my wife was going to church, and I went in flippant and really arrogant, and I said, but I was honest. I said, if you're real, if you're who they say you are, and you could show me or whatever, I will follow you no matter what. When I realized I was in the presence of a holy, righteous being, all I could do was fall on my face and start bawling. I was radically saved to the marrow and point of where my spirit, when I was born again and I realized, all I did was became so hungry to know more about him and to talk to him and be around his children. Got a hunger for the word, which I don't see how you could say you're a Christian and not have a hunger for the written word of God. The only thing eternal you can hold on here. I've had young people ask me, you know, about the service and stuff. And I would tell you, being in a combat situation, you're never more physically alive than when you're walking on that res razor's edge and life and death. I mean, your senses are, you can hear better, you can seem like you see better, you can smell better, but it, nothing compares to walking with Jesus Christ the last 40 years. You know, I was not raised in a Christian home. Um, before I was born, uh, situations in my life, my parents had a little boy and um, he was hit by a car and killed when he was four years old. Um, my parents thought if they had another baby right away that it would um, uh, ease their pain. So I was born about 11 months later. My folks split up when I was two and my mother met a man that introduced her to alcohol and um, she started drinking heavily and uh, they were married. And so my mom was like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. She was the sweetest person when she was sober, but when she was drinking, she just turned into a really mean person. And uh, she drank every day of my life. So that's how I was raised and um, had a lot of hurts, a lot of, lot of uh, felt very bad about myself. And um, my stepfather was not a nice man. I was just a very wounded person. Uh, we had a neighbor that was a detective for the Los Angeles Police Department. He came down and invited us to church. And so Cliff said, oh, he laughed at him and said, oh, church is for kids. And this neighbor came down, it was the Sunday before Easter, 1977. And he said, I've got tickets for it. We're gonna have a, a musical, Easter musical at our church. Would you like to go? And I said, oh, I don't think so. I said, Cliff's not here. And so he said, well, why don't you call him? I told Cliff, I said, well, I said, maybe if we say we'll go, he won't ask us to go anymore. See? So that was the only motivation. The pastor, he started talking about Jesus being scourged and it just broke my heart. I heard these thoughts that Jesus loved me, that there wasn't anything that I ever done that he wouldn't forgive me for, and that he had a plan for my life, and that I have worth. She starts bawling, 
And I was good, thinking to myself, oh, I said, just be quiet, you're just tired. I didn't understand what salvation was. I wasn't looking for it, and I didn't know what it was. But at the end of the service, they had an invitation. And I thought, if Jesus is in that direction, I'm going that way. I was thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be married to my grandma now. He, he said, he Some Bible-thumping freak show. That's what I told said. her, I said, you want to go to this church? Blank, blank, do it, but do not talk to me or ask me to go, period. Well, we had three children. Our daughter, Sean, the oldest, and um, then our son, Cliff. We called him Cliffy. Um, and then our youngest, Lisa. We had moved to a small town in Northern California up in the mountains, a place called Bernie. So Cliff and little Cliff decided to go hunting. Well, we went <coughs> duck hunting. It was in November... It was probably 28 degrees. The water we got on Crystal Lake was probably run about 38 degrees. And so anyway, we was on this talking about stuff and all that. And all of a sudden, here comes some ducks. And he made the wrong move of standing up in the boat. The boat flipped over. I didn't bring life jackets. So we're in the water long time. And the last thing he said, I said, we got to, we're praying. We prayed together and maybe somebody would come and all this stuff. And the last thing he says, well, tell mom I love her and I love you. I'm going to go home and be with the Lord. No, this ain't right. If he's going, I'm going. I'm going to dive down and grab until I just run out of air and drown with him. And the Lord said, it's not your time. I've been in the water now for about 45 minutes to an hour. And you're not supposed to survive that, that long in that cold of water. And I said, well, I can't make it to the shore. And he goes, yes, you can. Just rely on your old training and relax. Next thing I knew, I was on shore. Well, I had to walk clear around the lake, soaking wet. I fell down probably a hundred times. Kept getting up, crawling along until I got to the truck. Went over my friends said, hey, and they go, hey, what happened? I said, well, I think Cliffy's drowned. Because when he went under the water the last time, I couldn't find him. Knowing God's word, later, I realized that it was his time. And I don't care how many people would have been there, we wouldn't have been able to, quote, save him. No matter what I would have done, God wouldn't let me drown myself or give up or whatever, because it was not my time. My time was to be lengthened, to go to where, or like I say, our daughter Lisa, very proud of her. And now I get to live and watch my grandson grow up. And I know for an absolute fact, more of a fact than me sitting there talking to you in the camera and all that, that my son quit dying and started living. Jesus Christ was in control. And we knew what God said in his word. He closed his eyes and opened them, looking full in the face of Jesus Christ. And he is satisfied. Yes, you mourn, you grieve. It's it's a physical pain. It's like somebody hits you in the in the stomach. That night, I got up and I was went to my son's bedroom and I was on my knees praying and and I just said, Lord, He says to praise you in all things, not for all things. And uh, so I said, I'm going to praise you in this. I don't understand, but I said I'm going to praise you in this. Now my mom 
She never recovered from my brother dying, became an alcoholic, and I thought, I'm not putting my kids through what I lived through my whole life. In high school, because of my mother being an alcoholic, I gave, uh, I wrote a term paper on alcoholism and uh, said that 70% of marriages that have a child die end in divorce. Well, it's been 33 years and the Lord's kept us together. How did I get through it? God's Word says one thing, and I've lived my life now with the Lord of this way. You have nothing else on this earth to trust in except what God Himself has said. So you ask, how do I get there? Because God is faithful and I'm not. And He has a hold of my hand and He will not let go. The Lord allowed us to write this testimony about our son. We've been able to minister to other people. And I'll tell people that, you know, it's this isn't something that we would choose for ourselves to go through. I'm thankful for all the Lord has taught me. I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I'm thankful for what He has taught me in it. So it's been 33 years, and yes, it's, I mean, we walked very, very deep valleys, uh, but the Lord has been with us through it all. God's Word tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. And even when we're hurting, even when the weight of life has pushed down upon us and we feel like we can't go on any longer, we are to still give thanks. And we are to give thanks, Christians. Why? Because we have the truth in God's Word, John 17, 17. We are to give thanks. Why? Because there is no more stain of sin in our life, Psalm 32, 1. We're to give thanks in all things. Why? Because we have victory through Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. We're to give thanks in all things. Why? Because his love endures forever, Psalm 136. We're to give thanks. Why? Because he gives a peace that surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4, 7. We're to give thanks. Why? Because he provides all that we need according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ, Philippians 4, 19. We're to give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because he has lifted us from the miry clay and pulled us from the pit of despair, Psalm 42. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because he has given us the greatest gift of all, the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 9.15. In Romans 8.18, I can give all thanks. I can give thanks in all things because the weight and the pain of this world does not compare to the glory that awaits us. We can give thanks in all things. And how do we approach God? We rejoice knowing who he is. That he is the savior of this world, the savior for mankind, that he is in complete control even though the nations rage, the king is still upon his throne. And we know that about him, so we go to him. We offer our praise, we offer our prayers, seeking out our king. And he is the righteous judge, he is the one who is made right when he made his decision. And we are to give thanks in all circumstances and we are to keep living for him. And this morning, we want to take this opportunity for you. Maybe some of you are hurting. And as we read earlier in James 5, that if you are hurting, if you are suffering, you need to pray. And maybe some of you are hurting and you can't even think of what to say and you need help. Well, according to James 5, you need to find people here in your church. They need to pray for you. And maybe you're here today and you can't give thanks because maybe you have not put your faith in Jesus. 
I want to let you know, and if that's you here today, there is a God who loves you. He loves you so much that he traded his only child for you, that he sent his son Jesus, the perfect son of God, never sinned. He died a cruel death upon a cross, and God accepted that punishment. God accepted that sacrifice because Jesus had never sinned, and he took your place, took my place, and the Bible says he died for our sin that he was buried, and then three days later he rose from the grave. And the Bible says that if you believe that, your heart has been changed. If you believe that, you have been saved. If you believe that, now you can give thanks because we know who God is. We know who the King is. And this morning we want to open up this altar to you. If you want to pray, maybe you want to say, God, change my perspective. Maybe you are just in need of help. I encourage you to come down here and pray. I encourage you to find a family member, a friend, one of our pastors, whoever it may be. Maybe you want to put your faith in Jesus for the very first time. I encourage you to come do that because we need Jesus. We need his help. Let me pray for us real quick. Jesus, come to you right now, and I just tell you that I am extremely humbled. God, as we see the importance of knowing who you are, we can rejoice. God, as we know who you are, we see the importance of how we go to you because we know you have all the answers. And Jesus, I pray that even what the answer might be in our life, I pray, Lord, we're still able to give thanks. So Jesus, I pray that you work on hearts right now, and I pray for anyone in here, maybe they don't have a relationship with Jesus, I pray during this time that they would put their faith in you. So Jesus Christ, I ask that you would work through your Holy Spirit, you convict hearts, God, that you would move in this room this morning. In Jesus, that we would trust in you. Thank you so much for loving us, God. Thank you so much for trading your child for us. We don't deserve it, but God, you freely give it. Thank you so much for loving us, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Allow God to move in your life, move in your heart this morning. Let's take this time to seek out the Lord. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up, He turned me place my feet on solid ground it makes me want to shout hallelujah thank you Jesus Lord you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise it makes me Shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he Holy Ghost, He healed 
I think about the Lord How He picked me up He turned me around How He placed my feet On solid ground And makes me want to shout Hallelujah Thank you Jesus Lord you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise it makes me want to shout hallelujah thank you jesus lord you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor Father, we just come to you because, God, there is nowhere else to turn. And I just pray, Jesus, for us today, for us as Christians, that we remember all that you have done. You've saved us with the precious blood of Christ. You have made us new. You have extended mercy, God, even when we deserve wrath. You have extended mercy. I don't get that, God, but you are so good to us. Help us to remember that, Lord. Help us to never lose sight and to never lose the wonder of your great mercy towards us. God, I pray that our hearts are fixed upon you, God, that we're not worried about any other aspect of this life, but that we make Jesus our king, that we know that you are in complete control. And God, yes, this life is hard. God, as we've already heard today through testimony how things are tough, but we can trust in the solid rock of Jesus Christ. I pray we do that, Jesus. I pray you give us the ability, the power to repent of ourselves, to turn towards you. And God, that we would do our best to live for you. Thank you so much, Jesus, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You are a great God, and we praise you. We worship you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you so much that you rose from the grave. You are God. You are Lord. Help us to live for you. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Ushers, if you'd come forward.